1: Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is...
2: Sharon Pierce.
1: Sharon's a practicing CRNA for 20-plus years, past president of the AANA, the NCANA, and has held many other leadership roles. In fact, a lot of our listenership know Sharon personally or know who she is. Our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs.
2: And today we've got a special guest. Don't you think so Jeremy?
1: Oh, I think he can be pretty special.
2: Yeah, well, he is special and we're not defining <laughs> special. But our guest today or my guest today is my co-host Jeremy Stanley the Money Guy. Whoop, whoop. Yes, we all like money, don't we? Mm. Well, today the topic of conversation is the wealthy CRNA. And so, Jeremy, I'm going to let you start us off and tell us how to be wealthy CRNAs.
1: Yeah, well, that's great, Sharon. Well, really the topic is the topic of the book that I wrote called The Wealthy CRNA. Working with CRNAs for numerous years now, what I've quickly realized is that CRNAs are very smart folks, but they don't get a lot of money training along the way. Sharon, when you were in nursing school, did they teach you about this stuff?
2: Not at all. Of course, Jeremy, you've got to remember when I graduated from nursing school, I went to work at Wake Forest and ICU, and if I would have been a cigarette packer with RJR, I would have made more money mm, than absolutely. I made as a college-educated nurse
1: yeah well you know what we find is that most people just don't get the training on this that they actually need so that was one of the reasons for the book and one of the reasons we love working with crnas is to help them with these financial decisions that they've got to make you know Sharon, crnas make good money and I, i tell folks that all the time it's a great career you make good money but you don't make warren buffett money no you know, and unfortunately, a lot of CRNAs try to live above their means. They go out and they buy the brand new BMW. They're living in an $800,000 house. They're living the lifestyle and they're not doing the things they need to do to become financially successful. And I'm not saying every CRNA is mm-hmm. like that, but we do see those occasions.
2: Maybe they're married to another CRNA.
1: There you go. They're, Double your income. That, that's Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know, many of you might have heard me ask this question before, and that is, you know, what is your career really worth? And I don't think most people put a lot of time and effort into that. And the way I value that is, you know, the average CRNA is making about $180,000 a year Mm -hmm. in this country right now. So if you had to go out and replace that income what would you have to have to replace that income?
2: I'm sure this is going to knock my socks off.
1: Well, if you think about it and you went out to the marketplace and you had to buy an annuity or an income Mm -hmm. stream Mm -hmm. to replace that $180,000, how much do you think that would need to be, Sharon?
2: Oh, my gosh. I don't do math in my head, nor do I multiply <laughs> license plates going down the road like you do. But well, I'm sure it's going to be astounding.
1: Well, the simplistic way is just to take your annual income, say $180,000, and divide it by 5%, which might you know, be close to an annuity payout these days.
2: Okay. Hmm. I don't think I've got that much.
1: Well, we're going to work on that, Sharon. That's, okay, that's what we're here today for. So. And if you think about it, if the average CRNA works, say, 30 years, mm-hmm. and on average makes $180,000 a year, then you're going to make well over $5 million throughout your lifetime. And you might have heard your dad say this. You know, your dad always said Uh lots of funny things. But he also said some serious things, as I remember, things that you quoted on Facebook. But, you know, it's not what you make. It's what you keep. Exactly. And we've all heard our parents or grandparents or someone give us this advice. And that's really where we want to start today is what you keep.
2: Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about what you keep. So how much should a CRNA save for retirement. Is there guidelines for that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, most CRNAs, the retirement system is skewed against you. Well, what I mean most by that, money
2: systems are skewed <laughs> against you. Ever heard of taxes? Absolutely.
1: And we want to minimize those as well. Absolutely. But because CRNAs are high income earners. Remember, you're limited to a certain dollar amount this year being 19,000 if you're under age 50 mm-hmm. um, well, that you can that contribute knocks me out. <laughs> well, you can bump it up a little bit because okay. you got the catch-up provision, but but under age 50 only $19,000. If you do that as a percentage of the average income, well that's just a little over 10%. Okay. But the guy that's making $50,000, remember he can still do $19,000. So the percentages for him are a lot greater than for you.
2: So why didn't they make it equitable in that regard? So as your pay goes up, the percent, you see what I'm saying? Hey,
1: why does our government do the things they do? (laughs) I guess they want us high income earners to pay more in taxes is the only thing that I can relate that to. Okay. But yes, so you should be saving for retirement. And on average, what we see is that the average CRNA, by the time they retire, has somewhere between 1.3 million and three million dollars saved for retirement. Okay, that's what most of the folks that we see have. One of the first things in developing—can I
2: back up? And sure. ask you Your question. Whenever you say 1.3 to three million, is that purely monetary? Because you know, I have property. So right. does that include? property values or are you talking about straight cold cash?
1: Well, that includes assets for retirement. Okay, It could be property that you own that's generating an income stream for you. Because mm-hmm. ultimately for retirement, and, and we're going to do another series soon talking about retiring CRNAs, but ultimately for retirement, what you carry about is where does that money come from? Right. And we don't care if it comes from real estate or dividends or stock or wherever. You just want the cash. Right. Yeah. But one of the first things that most CRNAs need to do is something I call the nasty B word. Mm. Any idea what that nasty B word is? Well, I know the one that I've been called. Oh, no. I'm not talking about that one. Whoa. We're not going down that road today. Uh, uh, Budget. Budget. Uh. Oh, you know, so many people hate that word, explicitly Mm -hmm. hate that word. But most people, unless you do make money like Warren Buffett, you need to be budgeting. But what we find is that the more money you make,
2: the more money you spend
1: and the less you budget.
2: That would make sense.
1: Yeah. because now it's not a big deal to stop at Starbucks and get that $354 cup of coffee, is it? I can afford that, right? I'll maybe work another shift if I want to take a vacation.
2: See, I tried to get you Subway before I came here. You did. Instead, you chose to eat grass.
1: (laughs) too healthy. Uh, Well, I try. I do try. You know, so the first thing is to establish that budget, and there's a lot of different ways you can do that. You can use online tools like Mint.com or Quicken, and actually they will download into your bank account for you and all your transactions will be categorized and you can just click a button and say okay how much did I spend last month you know I recommend that folks do this you don't have to do it every week but if you look at it once a month or once every couple of months or even every three months and just say where did my money go
2: oh Mike Pierce takes every single receipt that I generate And he puts them (laughs) in all of these categories and he'll say, You know, you went to Walmart (laughs) eighteen times last month.
1: (laughs) Oh, this can be a marriage disruptor as well. Um yes Um, it is. So you gotta be careful about it. You really do. I mean, it's a talking point between spouses or significant others, but you know, you don't wanna dwell on this too much because Mm -hmm. I see a lot of couples that do and
2: I but, bet you do a little bit of marriage counseling in here sometimes it, it's over financial stuff.
1: Oh, you know, yes. Part marriage counselor, part therapist, you know, part <laughs> advisor. Uh, you know, I wear a lot of different hats. Um, yes, you do. But, you know, getting on top of that budget really allows us to do a lot of different things from a planning perspective it can break down what your fixed expenses are such as your mortgage Mm -hmm. your utilities your car payments your insurance and your groceries and so forth
2: and student loans
1: student loans oh we're going to talk about student loans. oh yes And then variable expenses. And those are things that, you know, we could probably do without to a certain extent. It's
2: Excuse Starbucks. me.
1: Starbucks. I don't go to Starbucks. We can make coffee at home, here
2: Yeah, well, see, uh. I'm not woman enough to drink that stuff. It's too strong <laughs> for me. Starbucks yes, um, But I do buy it for Tracy Castleman. There you go. Whenever I get her up early because uh, she, she needs, needs it. it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I know a lot of people like that. You know, dining out, entertainment, gifts, travel, all those types of things are variable expenses. Clothing. Oh, that's uh, big. That's a variable expense. No, it's not. when we start looking at folks' budget, you know, we really see what's important to them at that point. So first, the goal should be to spend less than you are making, Mm -hmm. Uh Yeah. Mm -hmm. and then where can you cut back? So that's our first base step is here's our budget. Here are our goals and objectives. Now how do we get there with this finite income we've got, $180,000, $190,000 CRNA salary? How do we get you where you want to go? And it all starts from that budget.
2: Okay. So I guess, do we have to talk about debt now? Yeah. that's the, That's, that's the, the D word.
1: That's the D word. The other nasty, <sighs> nasty D word. You know, when you're looking at debt, and uh, the Federal Reserve actually just posted something in March of 2019 that said there's $4.3 trillion in consumer debt in our economy right now.
2: I can believe that. You know, as a society, we don't reward people saving.
1: Oh, um, not at all. Here,
2: you know, the Asian cultures outdo us. I'm sure you probably know the numbers better than I do as far as saving, but their government rewards them saving money i mean you know we've got to pay on taxes on capital gains that you haven't even seen yet (laughs) i mean some of this is crazy
1: yeah and unfortunately our economy is basically based on us spending money Mm -hmm. so there is an incentive for you to spend out there they also in that same study from the federal reserve said households with higher incomes actually carry higher credit card balances which was amazing to me. It's almost (laughs) oxymoronic in a way. The more money I make, the more I spend, and the more credit card debt I had. In fact, they had an average of about $7,800 in credit card debt. Isn't that amazing?
2: Yeah, it really is. Even though I do use my credit card for everything, but I pay it off because I use the points. Pierce and I, every IFNA meeting there's been, I've never paid for a plane ticket because I use the points to get us
1: there. And that's a smart way to use Say debt. Say that one more time. That's the smart oh, way my God. to use debt, yeah. Mr. Michael Pierce out there.
2: Oh, no, it's my credit card.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, he doesn't know about that one. Shh. Just disregard that.
2: Oh, yeah. He sees the bills. He goes <laughs> through it line by line.
1: <laughs> so there is a difference between good debt and bad debt. You know, about 77% of all households in America have some form of debt.
2: Seventy-seven.
1: Seventy-seven percent.
2: Okay, and that would include mortgages, anything.
1: Right. Okay, well, that
2: makes sense.
1: But, you know, one of the ones we see with our our CRNA folks and our SRNA folks is student loan debt. Yes. And unfortunately, that is a big problem for SRNAs graduating these days. On average, what we see right now is over $150,000 in student loan debt. When they graduate,
2: that's a lot. But I will say that their ROI on that is very good. My daughter, who is a lawyer, graduated with that much student debt, and her ROI is nothing.
1: Oh, no doubt.
2: Like that. Though she did marry a CRNA. Hey, so there that you go.
1: helps. Hey, I did the same thing. Yeah. You know, she's we've got good taste, right? That's it. But, you know, Sharon, that 150 was really before. The DNP was in full swing. So now we've added more Gosh. time onto this Another equation. year. Yeah. So yes, I absolutely believe that student loan debt is a good debt for CRNAs. There are folks out there that are incurring student loan debt that it's a very bad thing because you can't incur $100,000 in debt and make thirty dollars or $40,000 right. when you come out of school. Yeah, absolutely, is what lucrative. my
2: Shelley was doing when she yeah. came out of school working in the PD's office, public yeah. defender's office.
1: So, you know, that is an issue that needs to be dealt with. You know, the other thing is credit card debt. And credit card debt, as we said earlier, for folks that are high-income earners, making more than $138,000 is about $7,800, whereas on average in America, it's about $5,300. And credit cards that aren't paid off, for the most part, are bad debt right you know and we really need to talk about that a little more and and in fact people have more than one credit card on average we're all carrying over three credit cards in our wallet right now
2: I do that but they have zero balances on them but it's like just in case now let me ask you a question does that hurt you to have credit cards that have a zero balance? Because whenever you go to get a loan, doesn't that hurt you in some it, manner?
1: It can because you know, you've know you got a certain amount of credit that you're allowed to have. Okay. And if you've got one credit card that has a $10,000 line of credit out there and another that's got eight and another that's got 15, Ooh. that's all part of... Your amount of credit that you're allotted. Wow. So yeah, you've got I to think to about things like that.
2: Problematic because I have a Marriott card that I'll use whenever I'm staying at Marriotts. So I have another card in case I don't want to fly American because mm-hmm. my other one is American. So I have all these cards. So I might need to rethink that.
1: Well, and the other kicker about credit cards is right now the average interest rate in America is sixteen point eight six percent.
2: For a credit card. For a credit card. Well, that's a lot better. It used to be about twenty one, twenty
1: two. It did, but think about that.
2: That's a lot. And then you get half percent on your money that half you saved.
1: Percent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so a lot of times, Sharon, I'll see people that have ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars in the bank mm-hmm. and they're carrying credit card balances of ten or fifteen thousand dollars at sixteen percent. And I say, What if I could guarantee that you'd make sixteen percent? They'd say, sign me up all day long. I say, Write the check Pay off the credit card. Yeah. You'd be surprised how many people want to fight about that. There's a whole
2: psychological component to this.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I see it every day. you got personal loans, auto loans, your mortgage. You know, one of the first things when we meet CRNAs that have a lot of debt is getting a debt restructuring Mm -hmm. plan. And one of the ways that we do that, and maybe some of our folks are Dave Ramsey fans, but Dave kind of coined the phrase, debt avalanche. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and basically what you're doing is you're paying off your debt by paying the highest interest rate first. Right. Okay? And that's a great way to do it. So, a lot of times if we've got younger CRNAs who've just graduated, and maybe they've got, you know, a hundred and some thousand dollars in student loan debt, a couple of credit cards, you know, maybe they've even got a mortgage. Our goal is to get them to give us two extra shifts a month. Mm-hmm. So if they'll give us two extra shifts.
2: Well, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah,
1: beyond and above regular time that you're working, give us extra two extra shifts. What we do with that is then we kind of do this debt snowball. The avalanche really says pay off the highest interest rate first. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's probably the best way to do it financially speaking. But sometimes psychological, that's not the best way to do it. Right. Because now you're paying, you're paying, you're paying, and your highest interest rate might be your largest balance, but you're not getting anywhere. Right. So if we take… Back
2: to the psychology. Back
1: to the psychology of this. Mm -hmm. So if we, for example, had a $6,000 credit card and that was our lowest balance, then with two extra shifts a month, we just say $1,500, in four months we've got that credit card paid off. You see progress. And then we kind of move on to the next lowest and then the next. So, you know, we do this example and we've got somebody who's got $100,000 in student loan debt, a couple of credit cards of $14,000, and then they owe $225,000 on their mortgage. Working two extra shifts, giving an extra $1,500, Sharon, we can get them debt-free in a little over eight years.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, and that's kind of the goal. Can you imagine if you had no debt and you were a younger CRNA coming out of school in eight to ten years from the time you graduated you had zero debt? Wow. Imagine what life would be like. Well It's amazing.
2: I think I've passed that threshold <laughs> just a little bit.
1: So that's that's a lot about debt. So back to your earlier talking about retirement.
2: Ah, okay. Well, let's talk about it and I guess CRNAs kind of get started a little bit later saving because you're continuing to go to school. I mean, I graduated from anesthesia school when I was 29, and I was the second youngest one in my class, so I would assume that I was an anomaly in that regard.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, on average, CRNAs are going to school a little bit longer. You know, you have to have that kind of critical care experience in between nursing school. So, you know, you're coming out, one, with a lot of debt these days, Mm -hmm. and two, you are starting a little bit later than someone who just gets a four-year degree. Fortunately, CRNAs make more money than the average person out there, so they've got some catch-up time in there. But as we talked about earlier, the retirement system is really skewed against you as a CRNA because of your income. Right. And that is a problem. So even when we've got younger CRNAs coming out and they say they've got this multitude of debt, we still recommend that they max out their retirement plan. Every CRNA should be putting in the maximum no matter what. And, you know, I tell the SRNAs, what income are you making now? And they say zero. What income are you going to be making when you graduate? 150000 $160,000. You can afford to sock away $19,000 of that, mm-hmm. build it into your budget, work a couple extra shifts to pay your debt off. So that's the goal. Okay. So, but one of the main things is taking advantage of that retirement plan you have at work.
2: The 401ks and four hundred and
1: three bs Yes. Because a lot of times they give you a match, right? Right. We call that free money. I we want to like take it. advantage of that. We all love free.
2: You know, now I will tell you that was one thing whenever I worked for an anesthesiologist on group because whatever they do for themselves, they have to do for you. Absolutely. So you find that your what they match you is a lot higher. And that's about the only advantage to working (laughs) in a group setting. But that was one that I found.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, and again, contributing that max, contributing the catch-up provision when you reach over age 50. Um, Those are things that you need to be doing for retirement. You need a plan. All this stuff works together, Mm -hmm. you know, from the budgeting side to paying off the debt to getting you to retirement. Everyone should have some sort of plan, just like uh, when you're in school. You remember the care plans?
2: Oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah.
1: So I think every SRNA has to write their care plan up, right? Mm -hmm. They have to have a plan along the way. And it's kind of the same thing when you're dealing with financial matters.
2: Exactly. All right. Do you want to talk about insurance now?
1: Yeah. There's another nasty word there. An in, I
2: right? word. Oh,
1: the I word. Well, you know, what is your biggest asset, Sharon? If you if you kind of just sat back and right. thought about well, it, what is? Most
2: people think it's your home.
1: Right. Or their retirement plan.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't think that these millennials think it's their home. They don't even want homes. They see it as an anchor. That's why I sold my big house a year ago, because they're not going to buy it. They want experiences. They want to travel. They want to do things, and they don't want to be anchored to a house.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of the same way, and I'm not a millennial, but... You, know, you married, I married one, though, so I guess uh, by <laughs> osmosis, I'm getting some of that. And there's nothing wrong with millennials. We are right. not
2: No, we are not. At all. Uh, I um, had a few of my own. So hey,
1: so you can you I, can I kind of vouch for them. To right? it. But no, your your home, your retirement plan, none of that is your biggest asset. Your biggest asset is you. Remember, I said in the beginning, Pierce.
2: Did you hear that?
1: Yeah, Pierce. Remember, Sharon's the biggest asset.
2: Well, he'll take part of that. Uh,
1: well, you know. I, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but the ability to do your job, you know, I never really thought about it like that. But you are so right, Jeremy.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, we've seen a lot of instances where CRNAs have gotten sick, or they've come down with cancer, or they've been in motorcycle accidents or car accidents, mm-hmm. and they relied just on the disability insurance they had at work. Well, not understanding that policy. I mean, you know, that's written all in legalese. They don't actually give you a policy when you've got a group policy. Right. No one knows what that says until you need it. Right. And then it's too late. So making sure you understand that. I mean, you've basically got more of a chance to become disabled than you do to be in an automobile accident, to have your house burned down, or actually at most points in your life than you do dying. So at age 30, your probability of becoming disabled is a six-to-one ratio.
0: Wow.
1: So checking on these things and making sure you've got the right insurance before it's too late is mm-hmm. very, very important. And then you've got the other things. I mean, the medical, as you age, long-term care, do I need it? Not everybody needs it, but a lot of people do. You need to know how to fund that. Right. You know, if you're going to spend some time at a long-term care facility, which right now, on average, anybody who is 50, 60 years old has got a really, really good chance, 40 to 60 percent chance of spending some time or needing some type of long-term care. Well, the
2: average is about 3.1 years, I believe that what it, that's what it is it's a
1: little above that for females and a little below that for males um,
2: we won't go there <laughs>
1: <laughs> so long-term care you know your liability protection your property and casualty and then life insurance you know how much do you actually need right. unfortunately that's one of the missold things out there a lot of insurance agents try to mis-sell life insurance well you've got to figure out what makes the most sense for your situation and for most people Term insurance is the best way to go. Mm-hmm. That's not for everybody, and I'm not want to kind of paint a broad brush approach here. But for most people, we need life insurance coverage to get us to retirement, to get us to when our kids are out of the house, to pay for our kids' college mm-hmm. education or our debt. Mm-hmm. But after you reach retirement age, hopefully you've done a good enough job saving that there's no need okay. for life insurance at that point. Now, it has some other features that can be used for different situations. But again, that's for most folks. Um, Well,
2: you can do some pre-planning. I've already paid for the mausoleum where Pierce and I will be interred.
1: Oh, you're going to be there together?
2: Uh, Yes, head to foot. It'll probably be his feet will be at my head because (laughs) whoever goes first goes into the mausoleum (laughs) first. And his family lives forever. So... I know, a little morbid. But, you know, this is all overwhelming, very thought-provoking. I certainly would not want to be you whenever you're sitting here with (laughs) couples sometimes. And actually, Pierce and I have sat here with you before. But I think that's a wrap. Do you have anything else you'd like to add, Jeremy? Well,
1: not necessarily, but I think, you know, making sure that you have a plan you know, every one of us gets up in the morning and we go to work for a reason. Mm-hmm. What is that reason? Why do we do what we do? That's part of that planning process. You go to work, ultimately, to make money, okay? Right. You wouldn't go to work if they didn't pay you. I don't Most know. People. I
2: used to love giving anesthesia. I, I would have done it. Was it was a past tense, though. Yes, now, now yes. It's not, well, yeah. there's a, that's a <laughs> care environment right? a whole other issue.
1: Right, but ultimately we get paid for what we do and that buys us the things we want gives us the experiences we want so that's really what this is about is it's your life where do you want to spend your time how do you want to spend your money what does that future look like and are you really working towards what you want in the future Mm -hmm. or are you just working
2: well what is it they say we spend more time planning our vacations than we do our retirement
1: absolutely and i think that's because either people don't understand how to do it Or they want to bury their head in the sand.
2: Hmm. Could be a little bit of both. Absolutely. There. Well, I appreciate having the opportunity to interview my co hosts. So thanks for listening to Beyond the Mask with.
1: Jeremy Stanley
2: and Sharon Pierce if you like our show and want to know more check out our other episodes on iTunes or Podbean and leave us a review share it on social media so we can get the word out we've not really done a whole lot of advertising but if you would help us get the word out we'd appreciate it thanks and until next time
0: Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and everywhere else that streams podcasts. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask.